over the last uh, month or so, uh, we've been running with a mini-series, which I'm just calling Tuning In. And it's an opportunity to lean into what the Spirit is saying to the church and for me to share some things in, in a more prophetic vein. Um, and over the next couple of weeks, I want to build on some of what I've said and talk about experiencing the supernatural. And it's all about moving from identity to relationship. If you missed the other talks, you'll be at a slight disadvantage, so you can catch up with them on the website. Moving from identity to relationship, from theological theory to, or head knowledge to experience, because God is tangible. God can be experienced, and so can the things of God. And the gospel has to be experienced to be realized. The things of God made tangible to be acquirable, the things of heaven brought down to earth and made concrete in our experience. That's what I want to talk about. But, you know, experience is often a challenge for us because education is easier. It's okay to go and do a course and get educated, but to actually experience what you have learned is something quite different, especially in the West I mean, we're all pretty well educated. We can read, we can write, we can count, we can logic, we can reason, which is a great benefit. (laughs) It's a great benefit for us as we make our way through the world and even to equip us to learn about the things of God, to learn theology, to, to learn about the Bible. But experiencing what we have learned, putting it into practice, is something quite different as any of us who've ever trained in anything can testify. I mean, I found that studying law, that was what I studied. Studying law is quite different to actually practicing law. And in fact, you never talked about, I've got law. You were always talking about, I'm always practicing law. There's so much practicing and working out of law that needs to be done. You could say the same thing about medicine. It's one thing to study it, but it's another thing to have a patient in front of you and to actually be practicing medicine. It's one thing to study theology And it's quite another thing to live it. And although we are spiritual and physical beings, most of us are more comfortable with the physical. (laughs) We're kind of predisposed, we're educated to believe that the things that we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands, physical things are more real than the invisible or spiritual things. Do you agree? So today I want to challenge that thinking. And I want to stretch you a bit. I want to provoke you to see the world a bit differently, to engage with God more tangibly, which we're going to need if we're serious about building a supernatural culture here at Jubilee. Last week, uh, I was at the Father's Heart Conference, and uh, a lady came up to me at the end of one of the meetings, and she asked me quite a, a typical question about spiritual things, which maybe you can relate to. She says, I never feel anything like some of these other people. I really want to feel something. What's wrong with me? We're talking about the Father's love. I want to feel that. I want to experience it. And she was an intelligent lady. She was highly educated, but she didn't know how to experience God or the things of God. And I prayed with this lady And sure enough, when I put my hand on her shoulder, nothing seemed to be happening. Let me just explain. Often when I pray for people, 
especially when I touch them, I can feel the power of God going through me and encountering them. And I put my hand on her shoulder and it just, there was nothing there, just felt dead. And now this has happened before, I've seen this happen before, so I did what I often do with Westerners, I put my hand on her head instead. (laughs) And as soon as I touched her head, I could feel the power of God all around her head, because that's where it was all happening. Now I'm not saying any of this to say that's bad, that's wrong, or anything like that, but I want us to understand how God touches all of us, how we can experience him completely in our lives. You see, even when I told her that it's okay, God's touching you right now, I can feel it's all around your head at the moment, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is all over your head. She was perplexed because for her, she still couldn't feel anything. And at that point, I didn't have the time at the end of a meeting to share with her what I want to share with you today, but it just underlined for me how common this is for us, and so that's why I want to talk about it. I I just want to give credit as well uh, to some of the things I say today. I read a book. Yeah, I did. I actually read a book. Uh, It's quite a common experience for me (laughs) to read books, but I read a book a couple of years ago which really influenced my thinking on this and helped me to put some of this together. Uh, written by a guy called Greg Boyd, who's a theologian from America. He wrote a book called Seeing as Believing. Now, I wouldn't agree with all of his theology, just just in case you go and read about him. There's not everything there that I would go along with, but there's certainly some things that he said in this book which I found incredibly helpful. Okay, I'm just going to pray, because what I want to happen is for the spirit of revelation to come upon us. And only God can do that, but I want God to reveal some things to us uh, this afternoon. So Holy Spirit, we thank you. You've just been in such a rush to come amongst us today. Even from the first note that we sang, your presence was here. And we just want to acknowledge your presence. We want to acknowledge your work amongst us. And we want to say, Lord, have your way with us this afternoon. This is your church and it's your agenda. Have your way amongst us and be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm saying then is that the things of God need to be experienced, they need to be realized, not just theorized, if they're going to affect our lives or make any material difference in being a Christian. So take, for example, our identity in Christ. We've done quite a lot in the church on identity. Let's talk about experiencing identity. Uh, as I said last time, identity has to be more than a certificate of achievement. Say, great, I've got all this, I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation, I've got all this, I can bring that to God, it's a certificate of achievement. It needs to go beyond that and lead to relationship, which means something of this new identity that we have in Christ has to be experienced. So let me just take you through this and show you what I mean. I want to lead you through an exercise um, because we've done a lot of teaching on this, but I want to do a bit of experiencing of this. Think about, for example, where you are seated right now because of who you are in Christ. So we know from what we've studied before that you are in Christ. That means you are seated in Christ. You're placed there by God when you first trusted him. But more than that, I want us to let the awareness of that place now impact you. 
So just close your eyes for a moment. Just think about this. Just allow the realization of what that might mean. Seated in Christ. In Christ. Placed there by God. What does that mean? What does it feel like to be sat there with Christ? In him. In heaven. So if we were to look at... Come back to me again. We'll go back there in a second. But if we were to look at Ephesians chapter 2... Verses 1 to 10, it will tell us three things about where we are and where we've come from. Firstly, in verse 1, it tells us that we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where you came from. That's how we lived. That's where we lived. And sin made us that way. We were separated from God. We were in darkness. That's where we were before Christ. Secondly, we were raised. Verse 4 says that we were made alive with Christ. This happened when we believed. This is our recreation, our new birth, our adoption into sonship and the royal family of God. I hope you realize that you're sitting amongst a royal family this afternoon. Royal family seated with God. We were then thirdly seated with him in heavenly places. You see that in verse 6. So we were dead, we were raised, we are now seated in this heavenly place. This has already been done. This is past tense. This is what we inherit when we believe in Christ. This is our current position. So let these things impact you for a minute. Go back to that place again. Just focus on these thoughts for a moment. In Christ, what Christ has done, where you are now seated, in the heavenly realms, what does this mean for you? Not just theologically, not just intellectually, what does it mean for you experientially? I mean, what material difference does it make for you to be in that place? And let me just pause for a moment. Just keep your eyes closed. Just reflect on the fact that you are there, seated in that place. Seated with Christ. Are you there? Okay, now in that place, look around. Look around. Experience what it's like to be there. In his glory, with him, in that place, as you look around, as you become more aware of that place, what can you hear? What can you see? What can you feel? What can you taste? What you can smell? What do you smell? I mean, we know all these things about identity, but what does it mean to experience them? It says... We are seated in heaven. What's heaven like? Look around. What's it like there? Well, it's where God is. So what is God like? Well, God is love. So what is that love like? Do you see? You can start to ask these questions and start to enter into the experience. What does it mean to be seated in his love? What does it feel like? What's the sensation of being in that place of God's love?
You can open your eyes now. I don't want any to be dropping off. <laughs> but is that what you've experienced? When you've engaged with God, when you've spent time in his presence, when you pray, what, what is it that impacts you when you commune with God? How do you stay focused in that place? How do you experience his presence, stay engaged with him? Because you see, one of the biggest struggles we find, and the reason why so many Christians find it hard to pray, or personal devotions, or quiet time, whatever you want to call it, is boredom. (laughs) We just get bored. And in fact, never mind experiencing the supernatural, what we experience most commonly is boredom. Is it just me? You can please make me feel better. You just feel bored in that place. You know, our minds wander. We check the phone. You know, there's no reason to check the phone, but you check the phone. We jump up at any noise. Any distraction that occurs in the physical world is more compelling often than our relationship with God. Why is this? Why is this? I mean, some people will say, well, it's a lack of self-discipline. That's what it is. You just need to try harder, focus harder. Give it more of your attention. So you try harder. Try harder not to get bored. Try harder to keep focused. Or other people will say, well, it's the devil. You know, he's distracting you. That's why Facebook just pinged up. It's the devil. Just trying to take you off course. So you get up and you rebuke and you shout and you give him your attention instead. And you've forgotten the very purpose that you were there. Or other people will say, well, it's just because I'm not a very good Christian. That's why I can't pray. That's why I can't spend any time with God. Which one are you? But actually, you see, I think the primary reason that we get bored is because it just seems so unreal to us. And we are so predisposed to the physical world which seems so much real, more real than the spiritual world. And so what we all find with those people who pray a lot or have great personal devotions or great times of worship or most enjoy time in the Word is not necessarily that they are the most disciplined people, but rather that they're able to get something tangible and significant out of their interactions with God. There's something that they experience in that place which makes it very real. So how does that happen? How do we make our interactions with God tangible and real? Well, how did you find the exercise that we just did? You know, when I got you to look around in heavenly places, seated with Christ, how tangible was that for you as I led you through it? How did you access this experience? What strategy did you use? You Feel free to shout out if anybody's got any ideas. What actually happened in that moment for you? And, yep. You imagine sitting on Jesus' lap. Anybody else? That's good. Claire. 
You were able to zoom in and look at the detail of things. Anybody else? Come on. Did anybody get bored, maybe? Sorry, Wendy. Lots of angels singing. Okay, wonderful. There's just three. Anybody else? Just a sense of peace, just in that place, seated in that place, in a place of peace. So how did you access that? What was actually going on when you accessed what I was talking about? Paul said it, really. Imagination. Something happened in the imagination. We experience, we are experiencing through the imagination. And you see, I think that we have forgotten just how important the imagination is when it comes to experiencing spiritual things. <laughs> I mean, if you look back through history, you'll see that using the imagination to communicate with God is nothing new. In fact, it's the lack of using our imaginations today that is new. So in past generations, including throughout the Bible, imagination was seen not as a way to escape reality, but to find a greater, deeper, more meaningful spiritual reality. So, for example, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul is writing about the deterioration of our physical reality. He's writing about the deterioration of our physical bodies. And he says in a kind of logical style of arguments, 2 Corinthians 4.18, so, he says, it's logical to him, so, he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's obvious, it's logical, it's obvious to Paul, but so contrary to our own predisposition and favoring of the physical. Paul and those of his time would have seen this to be an illogical thing to do. In fact, the only one so dulled in imagination, according to Paul, would have been the unbeliever. So in the previous chapter, chapter 3, Paul contrasts the veiled minds of the unbeliever who has been blinded, he says, by the God of this world, dulled to God, dulled to heavenly things, whereas he talks about the believer's mind as unveiled, enabled by the Holy Spirit, able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our inheritance. That's what the believer's mind is able to do. It's liberated to do. Freed from the God of this world. Unveiled and exposed to the glory of Christ. Our minds are no longer dulled. They're inspired. They're being renewed. And, 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 and so through that inspired imagination, God can be seen. He can be known. He can be felt. He can be heard. He can be experienced. And actually, this fits very well with how our minds work anyway. I've done a bit of research. And you see, we don't actually think in organized rows of information. We don't think in lists. We actually think through our imagination. So, for example, here's another exercise. If I was to ask you, 
how many turns do you need to make to get to your house from church today? What would you say? Just go there a minute. Just try and work it out. Just go, just think about it. How many turns would you need? Anybody? Seven? Anybody else? Wow, that was quick. <laughs> three? Three? Good. Any advance on three? Ten. Ten. Yeah, Coventry is a long way away. So let's, let me just ask you then, especially the one who did it so quickly, I mean, how did you do that? What process did you go through? What was happening in your mind as you were thinking about that? Oh, several. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Anybody else? What did you actually go through? When you were driving the route in your mind. Anybody else? Who, who was visualizing it? Well, how do you do that? With your imagination. But if I was to ask for directions to your house, you wouldn't be able to communicate that visualization to me. You would come out with a list, wouldn't you? So the list comes after the imagination. Not before. See, we don't think in facts and lists because imagination makes real what our brain is then able to make sense of so that we can analyze and come up with a list. And we can do this because our brain operates at one three thousandth of a second. That's fast, isn't it? And it's quicker to see pictures and then to interpret the pictures than to try and do it the other way. So why do we try and do that with God? Why do we assimilate facts about God? Why do we build theologies and lists of attributes instead of entering into the relationship that our facts about God have won for us and explore God this way through our imagination? Why do we do it that way around? Why do we think that actually having a good list of theologies is the right way to relate to God? That's not relationship. That's a list. And so Paul prays for the Ephesians like this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 18. I'm going to make you think about this, all right? You're going to need to think today. So Paul writes this to the Ephesians in one... Ephesians 1, 17 to 18, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Not just know about him, but know him. And how, what does he pray for that to happen, he says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, I pray that your understanding may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. I pray that your imagination would catch fire and that you would then be able to know that way around captured in your imagination with this wonderful God and his glorious grace and these riches, this abundance, catch that. And out of that, no. That way around. I pray that the eyes of your heart, your understanding may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Let me give you a couple of other verses where Paul refers to the imagination and And he doesn't ever use that word, imagination. The author, anyway, I won't go into that. 
but he makes lots of reference to that style of thinking. So here we go. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension, wrong imaginations. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. J.B. Phillips uses the phrase in that particular part of the passage. He says, we take captive every deceptive fantasy imagination to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, to make that which is true, to make that which is revealed, to make that truth into reality and to make it concrete in our lives. To make it reality in our lives. So there's something to be demolished, lies, fantasies, things that we imagine about God, and some things to make concrete truth about God and who Christ has made us. And actually, if we had time, I could show you that this is this directly applies to how God changes our lives. So we begin to see ourselves differently. We begin to imagine our lives differently in the light of the identity that we now have in Christ. You know, change, as I often say, has to take place from the inside out by conviction, by rebirthing. (laughs) Otherwise, it's just outward conformity. And nothing's happened on the inside. I'll leave you to think that one through. How about this one then? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10. Paul is writing about the mysteries of God. If you know God at all, you know that there's a lot of mystery about him. He's uncontainable. We cannot imagine. So Paul writes, What no eye has seen, what no eye has heard, here has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, how does that happen? In the imagination, the things God has prepared for those that love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, no mind has conceived or imagined what God has for us. Now that's quite sc- some scope I want to suggest. These are the things, verse 10, that God has revealed to us by the Spirit, and the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've often taken this verse to mean something like, it's beyond my imagination, so therefore I can't imagine, so I won't even try, hoping that one day God will surprise me. And it's a kind of a passive response. But this isn't the right way to understand the passage because Paul says in verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit so that we can conceive them. So how much can we imagine with the Spirit's help who searches the deep things of God? (laughs) What is the scale of our imagination? Well, the scale is God. Imagine God. Can't begin to even conceive how great he is. How stretched should we be in our imagination? Well, we should be God-sized. 
How limitless is that? Limitless. I think this gives us a lot of scope for the imagination. There are things in God that he wants us to conceive. There are things that he wants us to bring into reality. Things that are in heaven that he wants us to bring to earth. Things about his love. Things about his kingdom. Things for our world. Think about our community. Think about some of the problems around us. Think of some of the solutions that are needed. How big is your imagination for some of those solutions? Think about great inventions of the past. The imagination that was required. So how about the spirit-inspired imagination of the people of God? What can you imagine for your community? What can you imagine for Solihull, the West Midlands, the rest of the world? If God's kingdom were to come, what would it look like? How limitless is your imagination in God? Oh, Holy Spirit, will you come and stretch us? Our minds are too small. (laughs) If the scale is God and his boundless love that we can't even begin to imagine, how much more is there for us to grasp? Well, let me just uh, mention now some objections to the imagination. Because I know that some of you will already be thinking some of these things. Well, this is dangerous. Or some of you will be thinking, what on earth is he going on about today? But objections to the imagination. How do we know that we're not just making it all up? You know, I remember as a child having significant spiritual encounters and being told off by my mum and she would say things like, stop being silly, you've got an overactive imagination. It's okay, she said, sorry now. (laughs) But no, I was encountering demonic forces that were trying to bring me into fear, but my mum didn't know any better. Just got an overactive imagination. But having an over, uh, overactive imagination or just making it up or pretending are common objections to using the imagination in accessing spiritual things. As the theologian A.W. Tozer wrote in his essay, The Value of the Sanctified Imagination, he wrote these words, he says, that the imagination is of great value in the service of God may be denied by some persons who have erroneously confused the word imaginative with the word imaginary. And so in using the imagination, we're not talking about inventing fairy tales or mysterious experiences for our entertainment, Rather, it is getting the mind to line up with greater spiritual realities. Truth. Truth. So, does what I am seeing, hearing, feeling, or experiencing relate to anything I've read in the Bible, for example? You know, if you read the Bible, there's quite a lot of food for the imagination. I've got to say that because sometimes people will use that phrase in a kind of limiting way. Well, I can't see anything about in the Bible about that. Have you read Ezekiel? 
There's some pretty wacky stuff in there. So let me illustrate. If I was to look around the room now and say, I see the glory of God here right in the midst of us. If I was to say, there are angels here right now amongst the church, ministering to us right around the room. There are angels actually touching some people right now, just ministering truth, bringing revelation. If I was to say that throughout the worship, the water level has been rising and the presence of the Holy Spirit is here. If I was to say, and Simon, just want to bring this for you, is this okay? <sighs> Do you know, I regularly see an angel standing on the right side of Simon Clay. He's regularly standing on his right, and sometimes he's touching him, sometimes he's talking to him, and he's always got books. <laughs> and I don't know what his name is, but I know that his function is from the spirit of wisdom and revelation, ministering to you. If I was to say, oh, can you feel the presence of God right now? Am I just making it up? Am I just pretending? Or am I rather declaring a greater spiritual reality, bringing the invisible into the invisible world, making the tangible concrete? Yes, because this is the church of Jesus Christ, the dwelling place of God where heaven comes down. So you would expect these things to be amongst us. It's not just making it up, it's actually declaring the realities of truth that are in heaven right now and coming down to earth. I'd just love to go and just bring some more words for people now, but I want to just resist that. But you know, pretending takes you away from truth. Rebecca, I just want to say to you, I've been, as I've been preparing, that's you, my daughter. I just want to say to you, actually, you know, as I've been preparing this talk, I've been praying, and as you came into the room as I was praying, I could see like swirls of like anointing around you and in you, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is on you in an incredible way at this time. I just want to encourage you that. And I could see this swirling of anointing. It was multicolored like a rainbow. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is on you at the moment. I just want to encourage you with that. Yeah. So I'm going to resist any more. But, but look, pretending takes you away from truth and reality. Okay? Spirit-inspired imagination takes you deeper into truth and reality. You even get to experience it. You even get to experience it. God is tangible. He's touchable. He's seeable. He's knowable. He's relatable. Lots of other rebels. Look, if you still doubt that the imagination is just about pretense, try this. Here's another exercise, which you might not like. Just imagine for a moment a time when you were really hurt. Imagine a time where you were frightened 
Imagine a time when you were badly treated or you were snubbed by somebody. Just imagine that moment. Just go back to that moment for a moment, for a moment. (laughs) How real does the pain feel even now? Are you not just pretending then? (laughs) Are you not just making it up? I mean, that situation isn't happening right now. Why are you still feeling that pain? It feels real, doesn't it? Those moments feel real, and that's why we need to encounter God. That's why we need to forgive. That's why we need to get healed. Because those things stay in our imaginations, and they're real, and we replay them, and we go over them. And God needs to set us free through forgiveness and healing so that we can be at peace again. Maybe some of you need that today. Maybe there's just a moment that came very quickly for you then, just as I said those words. You could feel the pain still there. God wants to set you free from that pain today. Now, another example of how real the imagination is can be seen from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon of the Mount where he tells us that hating someone amounts to the same thing as murder and lust amounts to the same thing as committing adultery. How can that be so, Jesus, if it's just pretending, just making it up? Oh, it's just a harmless bit of lusting, just a harmless bit of hating. How is that hurting anybody? Jesus says, no, it's the same thing. Because you see, God, creator God, gave us an imagination just like his own. He created the world out of his imagination. And we too have creative power to make, to invent, and to engage with God himself. You see, in the Western mind, imagination is for children and real life is nothing like that. But then Jesus said we need the simplicity of a small child to see his kingdom. Think about that. To see his kingdom. Perhaps he said this especially for us. See, I think we need to change our minds to start seeing things differently. And I want to give people the opportunity to do that in a moment. And next time I think I'm going to talk about how to exercise the imagination to see, to hear and to encounter more of God. But in the meantime, I want to give you some homework. Would you like some homework? Okay, let's bring some application. Here's some things to try out this week and next week, because I'm not preaching for two weeks. But here we go. Some things to try out over the next two weeks. Number one, when you pray. When you pray, not if. When you pray, this is a relationship as well as a right. This is a relationship as well as a right. So talk to the Father naturally. Imagine that you're, He is sitting there with you in the room. I've got a friend. No, he's not a friend, but he feels like a friend. I know him, but I don't. He's just a great guy. Uh, and he was saying that in his practice, what he does is he will sit every morning with God. He makes a cup of coffee for himself. He makes a cup of coffee for the Lord. 
and they sit in opposite chairs and he just imagines the Lord sitting there. He said, the thing is, one day I reckon he might actually drink that coffee and I don't know what I'm going to do when that happens. But I really like that illustration. I really like what that does. And that's a good use of the imagination. Perhaps you'd find that helpful. I I tend to use two chairs, but I don't give them coffee because it's a waste. (laughs) He he never drinks. But imagine him sitting there with you. Listen to him. Don't just talk. It's rude. (laughs) Give some space. Listen to him. Go to him. Ask him to hold you. Say, Lord, do you know, often I just go to God and say, God, I just need a hug. I just need reassurance today. I just need you to encourage me. Go to him, ask him questions, be tender with him and let him love you. I was talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Or what about taking the identity statements of in Christ, a new creation, royalty, ambassador and so on. Ask him to help you to experience these things in your life. A bit like I was getting us to do at the beginning about seated with Christ. What does heaven look like? And those areas that you're failing in, yes, we've all got them. (laughs) How about taking those to God and asking him to help you to imagine them differently? Start to see yourself functioning, acting differently. To imagine areas of frustration differently. To react this time without anger, without fear, because that's your inheritance as a child of God. Ask him to help you see, because what you see will give you attention. No, I've written that completely wrong. Ask him to help you see, because the reality is, is that what you see is what you become. What you fix your gaze on is what impacts you. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is full of light, your whole body is full of light. Ask him to help you see. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. See him and you will grow to be like him. What's Jesus look like? I'm not talking about idolatry here. Use some of the descriptions, if you like, from the book of Revelation. There's a good picture of what Jesus looks like. Especially look at his eyes. Look at Jesus' eyes. Look at the expression on his face. In your imagination, go into that heavenly place with John of the Revelation. Say, I want to see Jesus, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Because what you look at is what you will become. When you worship, number two, ask the Holy Spirit to make his presence known to all your five senses. Make it tangible. All your five senses. What would that look like? You know, we have a God who can be tasted, taste and see that the Lord is good. We have a God who can be smelt, his fragrance. You know the verses. He can be felt, he can be seen, he can be heard. Who are you worshipping as you worship? What does he look like? Where are you worshipping? What does the throne of God look like? Let your imagination go wild. Where are the angels around the throne? What are they doing? And all the other scenes of heaven, the prayers of the saints, the glassy sea. Walk around the glassy sea. What does it look like? 
make your approach and join in with all the saints from every tribe, tongue and nation gathered there. It's happening now in heaven and we are seated in heavenly places so we should be able to walk around that place a bit. Am I weirding you out? Ask God questions. Turn to the angel next to you like John did in the Revelation and say, what does that mean? What's going on over there? Can I look closer at that? I've been experimenting with asking questions like, God, what does love look like? What does it look like? What does joy sound like? What does peace feel like? When you read the Bible, enter into the reality of what you read, not just the text. Don't just read the story, enter it. Play it like a film in your mind. Be one of the characters. Hey, how about trying to be Balaam's donkey? That would give you a different perspective on the story. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you there. Read the Bible in different places. You know, if in your prayer time you found yourself wandering around heaven, as we were talking about, pick up the Bible and read randomly and see how it feels reading the Bible in heaven. Travel with the disciples, go across the sea, get into the storm and watch as Jesus walks across the water. Go and lie by the still waters of Psalm 23 and let the good shepherd tend to you. I was doing that this morning. That stream is so beautiful. Use your imagination. And it takes a little practice, so be patient, patient, but persevere and you'll gain great rewards. And I'd love to hear some of your experiences. Perhaps you could email them to me and we could share some of them. So that's your, there's your homework uh, for the next couple of weeks. And uh, we'll get round some copies of that so you can read it at leisure. So I pointed out to you earlier that the dulled mind is not for the believer but the unbeliever. We don't need to be unimaginative any longer. The experience of the supernatural is for us all. But I do think we need to ask God to help us. And we need to change our minds. The Bible calls this repentance, to change your mind. And I think some of us might need to repent for valuing intellect over imagination. Spiritual facts over spiritual experiences. I'm not saying that you don't need one or the other. I'm saying you need both. Okay. Uh, but we don't prefer one or the other. Good theology over a transformed life. Also, for using the imagination for sinful purposes, for hating, for lusting, for plotting sinful things. Ask God to renew our minds by the Holy Spirit and tune us in through the imagination to heaven and heavenly things. Colossians 3, 1, 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, your imaginations on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. How about imagining your way through that verse? Now, for some of you, I appreciate this is very new thinking, and actually you could do with thinking about this a bit more. Okay, that's okay. But for others, this is really connected with something, and you can't wait to get some space now to go and try it out. And for those people, I want to ask you to come forward. And I just want to lead you through a prayer of repentance. 
And I believe that God wants to break some strongholds in our minds and release a whole new level of revelation and encounter. So if that's what you want, come on forward and we'll pray together. Just come on out of your seat. Or not, it's fine. There's no pressure. It'd be good to worship again. I don't know what time it is. We haven't really got time to worship, but we'll just pray. And I just want you to pray with me. Let's just come to God. Come right to the feet of Jesus. Don't look at me. Jesus is much more beautiful. Come right to his feet. Come before the throne of God right now. Come and look at those nail-pierced feet. Just, just love on him for a minute. Because he doesn't rebuke you. He wants to reveal himself to you in a, in a greater way. Holy Spirit, come now. Holy Spirit, come now. Now let's just say together, I'm just going to read this section at a time and you can say it quietly to yourself, but Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for valuing intellect over imagination. For valuing spiritual facts over spiritual experiences. Jesus, I'm sorry for valuing good theology over a transformed life. Also for using the imagination for sinful purposes. For hating. For lusting. For plotting evil. Lord, I repent. And I ask you to renew my mind by the Holy Spirit. I now consecrate my mind and my imagination to you. And I ask you to tune me into heaven and heavenly things and to make these things real to me now. In Jesus' name. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.